Hello, I'm Jeremy Allaire, and this is The Money Movement. I'm here today in Miami at Bitcoin 2022, and I'm very excited to be joined by Nabil Manji, head of crypto and Web3 at WorldPay, an app I asked company. So good to have you here. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. So we had uh, some big news this week, which I'll come back to and, and we can talk about, but maybe we can just start. I'm always interested in people's own personal stories a little bit, their own personal journeys. Sure. Just take you know a minute for your own journey into crypto, kind of how and when you got involved, and then how did that kind of manifest into you playing this leadership role at WorldPay? And by the way, yeah. for other people too, maybe in that context also, not everyone knows WorldPay. Yep. A lot of people, if you're in the fintech industry, you obviously know WorldPay, yep. but but uh, to the broader uh, to the broader audience, yeah, sure, yeah. So my own story: I, I started my career in consulting and investing, and as I was finishing up my time in an investing role, I had a friend that approached me who had a friend that was one of the co-founders of MakerDAO, Dai Stablecoin, for those that are less familiar. And my friend that had been one of the co-founders of MakerDAO had you know been in crypto since the early days, done incredibly well for himself, and wanted some help setting up an investment fund to invest you know, his proceeds back into the crypto ecosystem. And so they approached me and said, hey, Nabil, we know you have a background in investing. Do you want to help us set up a crypto investment fund? And I said, what is that? (laughs) But uh, the more I read about it and, you know, having had some exposure to uh, financial services and fintech in my consulting and investing days, I, you know, read the Ethereum white paper, read the Bitcoin white paper, started to look at what was going on in the space and thought this is pretty interesting. So I I took six months and helped my friends set up that investment fund. And in the process of doing so, realized that this is actually really interesting. You know, I'd love to go find something I could do in my career where I could have exposure and influence the space. Mm -hmm. And whenever you first read about crypto, one of the first use cases you read about is payments. Uh, Payments, remittances, financial inclusion, all that sort of stuff. And so that kind of turned me onto the payments industry as potentially an interesting way to intersect with crypto. And so I ended up uh, joining WorldPay, and I'll talk more about what WorldPay is and, and what we do in a moment, about three years ago. And back then, we weren't really doing much in crypto. We had one or two clients, um, some exchanges around the world. But in early 2019, we decided to make it kind of a core focus vertical for the company and lay a lot of the foundations in terms of you know, our risk appetite, our policies and procedures, our monitoring and controls, and you know, hiring expertise and talent. And so... 2019 for us was really kind of that foundation building year mm-hmm. where we got the executive team comfortable, the risk and compliance team more comfortable, built that expertise. And then that started to pay dividends really into 2020, 2021, where we went from having you know two clients at the beginning of 2019 to ending last year with something in the neighborhood of 25. Mm-hmm. So that's my journey. And today I lead that business globally for WorldPay. And what do we actually do? What is WorldPay? So a lot of, a lot of people don't realize this, but when you buy something online from a merchant or in person using a, a debit card or credit card, Visa and MasterCard, which are the two major card networks, don't actually have a direct relationship with the merchant that you're buying something from. They all use what's called a payment processor or merchant acquirer to use industry lingo. And WorldPay is the largest of those companies uh, in the world. So what we do is we basically enable merchants, whether they're brick and mortar, e-commerce, or both, to accept payments uh, from consumers using debit cards, credit cards, e-wallets, local bank transfer payment methods, and also enable merchants to pay out funds as well. 
And so today we process about $2 trillion a year globally. About 16 cents of every dollar spent online is processed by us. You know, we're the leading player in airlines and travel, uh, in the crypto space, and a few other key verticals. And so as it relates to crypto, we really view ourselves as being kind of, you know, the leading bridge between the traditional financial ecosystem or the fiat ecosystem and the digital asset ecosystem. And we're really proud of the role that we've played over the last few years in enabling, you know, tens of millions of consumers to move tens of billions of dollars from the fiat ecosystem into the digital asset ecosystem. That's a lot. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> that, it, yeah. it is. I mean, the scale is amazing. And, and I think I don't think people have a good handle on, on that. And, yep. and breaking down the, the kind of like pieces of the ecosystem is really important. It was mm -hmm. one of the things when I, uh, you know, got started with Circle and was like trying to understand because I was drawn in by the idea of, you know, how do you enable frictionless payments? Yes. You have an, an internet native yeah. digital currency model yeah. like that. That was what drew me into, into this whole space as well. But so the first thing that I needed to do is like, I needed to understand the existing payment ecosystem yes. and like who are all the players and how yeah. did it actually work? And yeah. it's actually pretty, pretty, uh, there are a lot of different intermediaries, a lot, a lot of different yes. steps. And when you like put in your credit card or your debit card and you pay and you get your good, like the actual money going from the person who actually is spending it yep. to the actual merchant, right? It, there are a lot of hops yes. and there's a lot of things. And that's obviously, you know, largely invisible to people, but yep. it, it is, it is sort of, there's a lot there, and obviously WorldPay is, is a huge player in that in that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I want to come back to actually one of the um, earlier things that you were talking about, sure. and you know one of the big issues, obviously, and people talk about it in crypto all the time, which is the fiat on ramps, yep. you know, all, all this kind of stuff, and that phrase even just like fiat on ramps yeah. is like a meaningless phrase to the, <laughs> to most people in the world, yep. and like it's actually in the like glossary that you have to study when you become a new employee yes. of, of Circle. Okay. It's like, okay, you know, what is a fiat on-ramp? What is it? It's like, what does that mean? Yeah. But it is this huge thing. And most people don't realize how hard that is. And I know you talked about like getting risk and compliance comfortable. Of course. And it would be interesting. You've got, you know, as you said, 25 kind of key clients mm -hmm. in this space today. But I assume like how many merchants does WorldPay serve? Over a million. Over a million. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the penetration of merchants that are, you know, sort of transacting underneath in, in, yeah. in digital currency is obviously still super, super small. Yes. And so, you know, clearly like the, the, there's this high hurdle. And, you know, I think with, with risk and compliance in particular, like that's all, always this high hurdle. And yes. I think a lot of it is just, you know, I think preconceived notions, yes. concerns, this kind of stuff. But like when you, maybe you just talk a little bit about what are those big risks that people are focused on? And in many ways, like how has WorldPay you know, addressed that yep. and not only got your own organization comfortable with it, but also all your partners, right? Because yep. it's not you know, that yeah. ecosystem we talked about of all these other players. Like, how have you gone about doing that? Yeah, it's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> no, so like if you start from the beginning, I think, you know, as you mentioned, when a consumer makes a payment using a card or another payment method, it's not just us and the merchant and Visa, MasterCard and their bank. There are a lot of other intermediaries involved. Maybe there's multiple banks that the money's going through. Maybe there's foreign exchange providers. Maybe there's you know other payment service providers that are between us and the merchant. And so when you talk about getting that large and complex of an ecosystem comfortable with a new area of business or a new economy, such as digital assets, there's a lot of education that has to be done. And so I think that's part of the reason why, if you look at the early days of crypto, it was so hard for those companies to get banking relationships, payment relationships, and all that stuff, because 
educating a highly regulated industry segment that is typically re uh, relatively risk averse and highly complex, that's a long journey. So a lot of it was just educating people on what is cryptocurrency? How is it being used? What are the controls in place? And I think if you look at what the primary risks and concerns are to answer you know, the second part of your question, I think for us, it comes down to a couple different vectors. So one is you know, true or not, there was and continues to some degree today to be this notion that cryptocurrency is used for illicit activity. And obviously as highly regulated, a highly regulated financial institutions ourselves, but also all the partners that yeah. we work with, there is you know, zero tolerance for things like money laundering, sanctions evasion, all that sort of stuff. And so dispelling the narrative and yeah. using sophisticated tools like Chainalysis or Cybertrace yeah. or TRM Labs to actually illustrate that you can monitor and mitigate and control yeah. for risks in terms of you know, where funds are being used or where they're being sent to and from is an absolutely key point. The second big point is regulatory compliance risk. So there's one thing to talk about controls for money laundering and terrorist financing and sanctions, which we just did, but there's also what cryptocurrency services are legal to offer consumers and what are not. Mm -hmm. So as you'll know, you know, different financial services are regulated differently around the world. You know, some places regulate custody, some people regulate spot exchange, some people regulate derivatives, futures, et cetera. And so when you look at a business like ours operating in 50 plus countries, each of where we are highly regulated and are not allowed to sell our services to business that are providing unlicensed products and services to right. consumers. Just right. the inconsistency yeah. and sometimes lack of clarity there was another you know, big risk that we had to get our head around with the help of local yeah. counsel in a lot of markets, external advisors, et cetera. Right. And then the third big piece, which I think the industry's come a long way in, is credit risk. So a lot of people don't know this, but as the payment processor who works with a merchant, if that merchant was to become insolvent and not be able to deliver goods and services to consumers, we're the ones left having to make those consumers whole. Yeah. And that's part of operating with Visa and MasterCard. They push that liability down onto us. And so a good example of this is like in COVID, there were a lot of travel agencies and tourism companies that went bankrupt. Yeah. And if you were a consumer that had purchased a trip or an excursion from one of those companies where we were the payment processor, Right. and you filed a dispute or a chargeback because this company that was supposed to give you this trip is now insolvent, we have to compensate everybody. Yeah. And so as that relates to crypto is, let's say you're a consumer that's bought some crypto and it's sitting on an exchange and that exchange gets hacked and that crypto's gone. Or the price goes down and you don't like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Friendly, Friendly fraud. fraud. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there is you know, some degree of credit risk that exists in the crypto space yeah. where if one of our clients as an exchange or a wallet gets hacked and some of the consumer funds go missing, yeah. there are scenarios where we would be left you know, with that exposure. And some of the ways we mitigate that or got comfortable are like you know, looking at what portion of assets are held in cold storage versus hot storage. You know, what's the security around that cold storage? Are there insurance policies in place, which historically there weren't, but some insurers are coming around. And so it's really those three risks. Yeah. It's, again, just to recap, the, the financial crime risk around things like AML and sanctions the regulatory compliance risk in terms of the evolving landscape as relates to crypto. And then the credit risk, just acknowledging that hacks, you know, have happened in the past. And, yeah. you know, in most cases, governments want consumers to be made whole for those types of incidences. Yeah, totally. Yeah, as you know, Circle has a, a long history of being at that intersection between yeah. like traditional payment methods, cards and crypto. And I remember very early on, one of the goals that we had was we wanted to create a magical experience where you could have mm -hmm 
an app with a debit card yep. and you could spend money from your debit card directly to a Bitcoin address. Yep. So you could like scan yep. the QR code and boom, and yep. it would be like, it would be like I'm sending dollars directly yep. to a Bitcoin address. And yep. we made that work, but it was really hard <laughs> and getting, you know, not only getting all the partners needed yep. on board to do that, but then, you know, I think the kind of coming back to some of the comments that you just made, like that credit risk and yep. fraud risk yep. and all the kinds of things that would happen. It was, yeah extremely difficult. Yep. So I know there's a lot there. Thank you for indulging me on, the, sure, on, the, yeah. on that question. It actually is an interesting segue a little bit into, you know, the role of stablecoins, yeah. right? And obviously we'll get to the, the Circle and, and WorldPay partnership sure. in a moment, but stablecoins have a lot of promise to actually fulfill a lot of the promise of payments yes. with, with, with digital currency, yep. right? And we're, you know, the volumes are actually pretty amazing, right? We've, we've seen over $3 trillion of on-chain mm -hmm. transactions yep. in USDC, which wow. is a big number. Yeah. And you know, every year it continues to, to grow, but it was still early days, right? Like kind of making this work for, for everyday businesses has been a challenge, but yep. just conceptually as you, as you think about this and the role you can play kind of being that interface layer between like all these people who have, yep. you know, traditional bank accounts and have traditional cards and other yep. things. And then this, you know, this sort of digital currency world yep. How do you think about stablecoins, the role they play just overall? Yeah. So first of all, I think stablecoins have been the kind of backbone of the modern crypto industry as, as we know it today. And I think for all the reasons we just talked about, moving fiat money, whether it's for payments or remittances or disbursements or whatever, yeah. it is complex and you need a lot of parties involved. And obviously stablecoins, any sort of you know direct account to account or peer to peer payment yeah. removes a lot of those intermediaries and that complexity. And so I think for that reason, they've been, you know, tremendously helpful to the ecosystem because as we all know, yeah. crypto is 24, 7, 365. Yeah. It does not sleep. Your business is always on. Why aren't your right. dollars? Right. Yeah. And yeah. so I think in the crypto ecosystem, because those businesses are operating 24, 7, 365, using fiat as the liquidity source or primary yeah. treasury currency right. for them, it, it just doesn't. And by fiat, we yeah. mean really specifically yeah. like the existing money transfer Correct. rails yes. and elect and the existing ways yes. to the electronic ledgers yes. in a sense of the existing financial yes. system is sort of fiat. Yes. Right. And then like crypto native digital currency is sort of on the Internet, yes. on blockchain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So to me, it's like absurd that we can have, you know, food show up at our door in 10 minutes yeah. or like packages like a TV show up in 24 hours. But totally. If I want to send you $100, it might take three days. Yeah. So I think stable coins have helped the crypto industry grow by providing that liquidity and yeah. real time rails needed to support some of the business models that we see. And I think the other big piece is, you know, obviously there's an evolving uh, regulatory landscape around classification of different types of assets, yep. tax tax of uh, different assets and different activities. And I think stable coins as that available medium have helped the industry not only achieve growth, but kind yeah. of manage risks associated with that growth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess like um, I have this sort of concept of there's a, a transition underway and, and that transition, some people might say, well, it'll, it'll happen in, in three years, it yep. could be 10 years, yep. but like there's a transition underway of, of sort of electronic dollars going yes. from the existing fiat world into the digital currency yes. world. And I use the metaphor of like upload your dollars to the internet. Yeah. And in many ways, like the partnership that we formed, yes. we can talk a little bit about that. Like I think about that as like, it's a big step in enabling that, you know, 
businesses that want to operate yep. in digital currency who instead of operating in a in a traditional commercial banking yep. world they want to settle funds yep. into digital currency yep. and then they're using that in their own yep. treasury and yep. in their own operations yep. and so on yep. and so i'm excited about this partnership because yeah. it's like again like taking a, a company who's really been at the forefront of commerce on the internet yep. and a million merchants and yep. so on and really sort of saying hey businesses right here's a way for you to like directly operate in digital yes. currency but also have the ability to kind of work with all these customers where they already are yes yeah so i think a couple points there that you mentioned that i think are super interesting are you know a lot of these crypto native businesses as you said they operate their treasury they maybe pay their vendors they yeah. maybe pay their employees yeah. etc in stable coins or yeah. in crypto right and so for us you know those are our clients in the crypto space but we've always been in fiat yeah. And so there's a disconnect there. Maybe we send the fiat slower than when they need it to pay their third-party vendors for a product and service right. that they're delivering. Or their customers, yeah. maybe if it's an exchange, their customers yeah. want to be able to like use it right away yeah. for whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, the exchanges are a great example. You know, some exchanges have enough liquidity in their own environment to fulfill yeah. you know, most or all orders, but a lot of exchanges don't, particularly yeah. the smaller ones. And so when you place an order using your debit card or credit card to buy crypto, Sometimes they need to pay a third-party liquidity provider, yep. and that third-party liquidity provider wants to be paid in stablecoins. Yep. They don't want fiat. And so then you end up in a situation where you have an exchange or a broker or a wallet that has basically a time lag between when we send them the fiat money and when their liquidity provider is expecting to be paid. Yep. And so that working capital, so to speak, is not insignificant when you're running a global yeah. crypto exchange and consumers are using cards to pay tens of billions of dollars. Yeah, totally. I mean, one of the things that we're seeing, and I, I'm sure you are as well, is like now that we have like these dollar digital currencies on the internet and they work on, you know, and they're programmable yep. and it's sort of this kind of thing. All of a sudden now people are, are saying, well, not only can we use these to like settle a transaction fast and with good security, but they're actually saying, hey, I want to keep my working capital in this and I want to borrow yes. it and I want to lend yes. it. And so the basic functions of money mm -hmm. Uh, of banking, if yeah. you think of it, right, these these sort of basic functions are actually moving on chain, yep. and people are borrowing and lending. And you know, I think most merchants, right, they think about, okay, I I need to be able to have my electronic money because yes. I need to be able to pay people, yes. etc. Yep. But I also want to be over in this traditional kind of commercial banking world because yep. what do commercial banks do? They lend money, yep. <laughs> you know. Yep. And so I'd be interested in your thoughts on like as this move happens, do you see? like growth in, you know, kind of more and more, maybe more traditional merchants and businesses, yes. not necessarily just today, it's sort of like the crypto natives, yeah. right? And then there's sort of the crypto forward. Yeah. And then sort of, you know, do you see businesses eventually like other internet yes. firms saying, hey, actually we want to operate with this because actually we can lend and borrow yeah. and there's yields yeah. and things like that. Yeah, so I think a couple of points. So one is you're absolutely right. Like our target audience for the partnership that we're we're launching with you is way beyond just crypto natives. Yeah. I think they'll be the early adopters and they've got very clear use cases and economic reasons to yes. you know use stablecoins to who they yeah. are. Everybody they wins. Yeah. Everybody wins. Yeah. There are a lot of other merchants of ours in traditional verticals, you know, retail, travel, airlines, et cetera, where we're getting approached weekly by dozens of people saying, what should we be thinking about yeah. as it relates to crypto? And I think for a lot of them, and you know, typically our client at a lot of these companies is someone in treasury or you know, their payments right. program or something. 
they're thinking about money movement, they're thinking about right. return on capital, yeah. they're thinking about efficiency of you know corporate treasury and all that. And stable coins, in my perspective, are kind of the easiest way to dip your toe into crypto. Yeah. You don't have to worry about things like tax considerations because there's no appreciation or depreciation. Right. Depreciation. You don't have to worry about volatility, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Right. So I think this is going to be the use case that we kind of pitch out there is, yeah. you know, if you're interested in exploring what something like a stable coin can do to benefit your business, yeah. this is the right first yeah. step, right? Yeah. So that's one point. The second point is, you know, a lot of people, you hear this phrase out there in the world today, every company is going to become a financial services company. Right. And I think if you look at the data around number of companies that offer like loyalty and reward programs or like own branded credit card programs, like it's just exploded over the last few years. And so I think as a lot of these companies are thinking about what are the financial services that we want to offer to our consumers, some of the things around lending, yield, and other products that are quicker, more lucrative, et cetera, on blockchain and using stable coins. Yeah. I think it's, again, a natural use case where here's something that me as a merchant can use to not only help me internally from an efficiency and liquidity standpoint, but also provide something attractive to my end consumers that'll make them want to do more business with me. Yeah. There's a, a huge amount of yeah, there's just new economic value that's being created there that that's available yeah. to people. Yeah, I know um, there's like some like big growth categories too, right? Yep. So I think like I'm guessing that of the of the folks that are you know the targets today, right? There's a lot of like exchange brokerage like that course, that kind of thing. Yeah. But now all of a sudden we have people building like blockchain games, yeah. and we have people building NFT marketplaces, yep. and we have yep. people building you know, uh, social, yeah. uh, you know, social tokens, uh, you know, all these other categories. Lots so and I know in your title, it's Web3, yep. or it's crypto and Web3, yep. right? So Web3 yep. is, a, is a nod to like, all the uh, all the other stuff. Yes. What are the biggest like categories where you see this happening? And, you know, without getting too proprietary, yeah. uh, like, you know, what are some of the big focuses for you no, guys? I, think, I think it's all the ones you just mentioned. I think obviously, NFTs have become absolutely massive over the last 18 months, like the amount of money and consumer interest and merchant interest flowing into the space is huge. Yeah. And I think the stable coin uh, settlement offering that we're bringing to market is going to be naturally attractive yes. to them because a lot of those products and protocols are crypto native. Yes. They don't have the ability to interact right. directly with fiat. And right. so that's really interesting. I think the other thing that's really interesting is, you know, a big chunk of our, our merchant book is big B2C brands, mm -hmm. like some of the retailers, the airlines, totally. you know, all that sort of stuff. And so all of these guys are thinking about NFTs too. Yeah. And, you know, is there a day in the future where WorldPay offers an NFT marketplace? Probably not. Right. Like we're a B2B company. Right. That's a very B2C right. type of, of product or, or industry. But do we want to be the infrastructure yeah. from a financial services perspective that sits behind that? Yeah. Yes. And does the stable coin element help power that? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a theory which, uh, you know, in a sense, right, I know like firms like WorldPay and in fact, the entire credit card industry, right? There's like the actual transaction and moving the value, yeah. but so much of it is often tied up into like rewards programs, yes. points programs, yeah. loyalty programs. Like that was like the next layer of the stack that yeah. kind of got built up. And, yes. I, and I'm apologies if I don't know, you guys probably have a whole bunch of products in that space. We do. <laughs> yeah. So, so like that's like this whole arena. And in some ways, just like stable coins, enable like open interoperable kind of open loop yeah. open internet you know money movement like nfts in some ways represent like an open interoperable open loop 
kind of model for affinity and rewards. Yep. And, and so I think with those big brands, right, some of the opportunity is not just should we like have like Nike shoe NFTs yeah. or, or whatever it is, but it's like, how can we use this material, yep. right? This new creative material to create different kinds of relationships yeah. with our audience, yeah. our engaged users, but also the people who transact with us. Yeah. And so I, I'm excited to see kind of what developers are going to do yeah. with like NFT protocols that are designed around like loyalty incentives, yeah. rewards, yeah. et cetera, that I actually think could be not only like rivals to like the kind of credit card points yeah. systems, yeah. but actually could be like way, way stronger yeah. in terms of what they deliver. Yeah, I think a couple points there. So like every consumer facing brand and merchant is fighting for everybody's eyeballs, yeah. like the time, right? Yeah. And we have a ton of research and not just us, like any company that's involved in e-commerce and, and things like checkout and payments, friction destroys conversion. Yeah. And if you think about something like a stable coin and programmable money, yeah. that is all designed to simplify things for the consumer. Mm -hmm. And so I think the brands and the retailers that innovate in this space mm -hmm. and leverage that and understand what that means in terms of better CX yeah. for their consumers yeah. are going to be the ones that yeah. over time you know, grow their share of eyeballs, yeah. you know, spending time on their platforms. Yeah, totally. What's interesting, like there's like a corollary in, in like the fintech neobank world, right? Like for, for a long time, like the issuers yeah. were like checking accounts, yeah. right? They're like your yeah. Bank of America account or yep. your Chase account or whatever. Yeah. And like probably the fastest growing issuers now are the cash apps, the Venmos, yes. uh, you know, and, and even, you know, like the BlockFi card or the yes. Coinbase card now as like crypto native, right? Yep. So like the issuers, you know, were that. And in some ways, like the card issuing was like a feature that was attached to something that was like this really great user experience yes. of like peer-to-peer -peer payments or yes. whatever the anchor user yep. experience was, was for that. And, but like there still isn't yet a, like a an anchor user experience that kind of unites all these things like yeah. identity, NFTs, yes, you know, money, yeah. assets, etc. Yeah. And and there's a lot of people kind of experimenting there. Yeah. There's etc. Et I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, will the issuer and issuer is even the wrong word, yeah. but will that unifying consumer product experience like what's going to be in that? Yeah. Who are going to create those? Yeah. Have we even seen it yet? Yeah. So I don't think we've seen it yet. I think it's, it's a really interesting question because my view, if I take a step back from the industry, phase one of blockchain and crypto was who can build the best protocol, the base layer. Phase two was like, who can build the best dApps on those protocols? And I feel like that's kind of yeah. where we are right now. The third is once those winners from a protocol and dApp perspective have been chosen by the market, how are they all going to work together and fit into a nice, neat yeah. consumer experience? Yeah. And that's where interoperability comes in. Yeah. And so I think interoperability is going to be like yeah. the most popular buzzword of crypto yeah. going I mean, into the, like the next that's few the whole years. promise. And yeah. I actually feel like, you know, there's this whole, um, this kind of whole narrative around super apps and, yes. you know, Uber's building a super app yeah. or, you know, we have super apps in Asia, yeah. right? We're really, really yeah. well known. Um, like is PayPal building a super app? Like yeah. who's doing a super app? And like, yeah. to me, like the meaning of super app I don't, I don't particularly like yeah. that phrase, but like the meaning of that, I think for most people today has been kind of grounded in, in the idea of putting together these different financial utilities yes. together into one app, yeah. right? And, and maybe like ticketing or other things. But I, I wonder if like the super app is actually like, really, is it like the Web3 
like consumer browser? Is it like, yeah, is, it like, like layer. Is, it, is it that layer? Is that layer that yeah. is like how you interact with this new internet and both from a payments and, and NFT and yeah. so I think it's such an open creative space and I and and you know I feel like back in the late 90s, right? Google didn't exist yet, right? Yep. And like the paradigm of like how I'm going to really like get into the internet. Yep. Like it, there were lots of people who've been trying and building and so it didn't yep. exist yet. I feel like in this space, it doesn't exist yet, yep. which is really exciting because it means this, there's going to be some company or companies or projects yep. or whatever that are going to like boom and going to hit a billion people yep. and surprise yep. us all. Yep. Yeah, I think the the trade-off right now, you know, there are super apps, as you said. Like yeah. WeChat's a good example, right? Totally. Like they have such a great suite of services but you know research has shown over time that consumers still want choice yeah so i think we want to get to this place where there's like this hub of interoperability where you can take things like your identity yes. payment credentials assets etc yeah but then still be able to use that yeah at the venue of your yeah. choice or with the product or service or merchant of right. your choice. and this is like deeply the web3 vision yes. as well yeah. right yeah right and, and building up on it and I think probably for, again, being a little presumptuous, but yeah. some of your colleagues maybe who are more on the traditional finance side, yeah. who, who, are, who are looking at crypto, yeah. et cetera, are looking at it through a fairly narrow lens yes. of why would anyone use you know, Bitcoin or you yeah. know, whatever. It's kind of like the classic yeah. kind of cognitive dissonance. Yeah. I don't understand this, yeah. et cetera, yeah. right? But like what I think probably most people aren't seeing is like, actually, no, there is like this whole new internet. Yeah. And if you thought like being out in front and being an important provider for e-commerce was important, yeah. this is actually kind of probably going to be yeah. more important. Yeah. Um, and so just have, having you guys focus on the space is obviously awesome. Yeah. And I think, yeah, if you ask most people what is crypto used for, you know, bought for today, most people would say like investment or speculation, right? Right. And like that's still a big portion of the market, but that portion of the market is yeah. declining as a percentage of overall share of yeah. the activity that's going on. And I think, you know, it kind of reminds me, you know, the early days of the internet were used for like gambling, you yeah. know, some other yes. <laughs> not so great activities. Right. And that that was the narrative for a long time, right? Yeah. But now everybody uses the internet for literally everything. Everything. It, right. Our lives are built on the internet. Yeah. And so I think it takes a long time to shift that mindset. But I think what's really interesting is if you look at the younger generations, yeah. I mean, all of this technology yeah. and all of these concepts yeah, are incredibly it. native to them. Yeah, they just get it. Yeah. yeah. And so there's always going to be that kind of like upward education that they're going to do, you know, with the generations above them and, you know, their peer set and all that sort of stuff. And so I think the growth curve that we're seeing in particularly mm -hmm. the Web3 side mm -hmm. of the ecosystem gives me a lot of optimism that I yeah. think, you know, things are here to stay. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. We're excited to be uh, putting together some building blocks here yeah. with you guys. And, uh, you know, obviously lighting up dollars on the internet is a piece of the puzzle, but obviously yep. the puzzle is very, very big. Yeah. It's a mosaic puzzle, whatever. It's yeah. like a lot there. But again, grateful for the partnership with you guys. Likewise. And psyched that you could come on the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. Awesome. I really appreciate it. Bye.